Dennis Levick. This is my lovely wife, Tracy. Hi, I'm John Rudnick. We're Barry and Anita Chenault. My name's Edward Devlin. My name is Rosalie Devlin. Hi, we are Brent and Sheila Howell. My name is Matt Leesman. Hi, my name is Hannah Rollins. My name is Chad Peterson. I grew up in a Christian household. I was taught about God. I was taught about Jesus. I made the decision to be baptized. I do remember after being baptized in a pool at 12 or 13, however old I was, I remember thinking that I was going to be a great Christian. My life after that, it looked like anything but the life of a great Christian. My teens, my 20s, you know, I was playing music in rock bands and then coming home smelling like an ashtray and three hours later I'd be playing on the worship team the next morning. You know, I was, I was in situations around people, around girls, doing things I absolutely had no business doing. Come 2019, my wife pulled for me that I had a uh, habitual sexual sin within my marriage for years. I watched things start to crumble right in front of my face knowing that I was responsible for my own sin and suddenly I had a mess that I had made and I had to face the fact that I didn't have a good strong Christian character. I came to the heart of addiction and I got a chance to see, see real Christian men not just wrestling with addiction but you know their their own identity. What kept coming up was this idea of submission and I came to understand that really a problem I had wasn't it wasn't so much a pornography problem as it was a control and pride issue. And there was that step I cruised over early on in my life that I never, ever got right. Uh, I started counseling with a trusted Christian friend and he, he wasn't scared to ask me the tough questions. And it finally got to the point where I, I broke. After I surrendered to Christ, it, it's not been perfect, but it has been a time of growth. I'm so thankful to my wife for her patience and her grace. As, as I slowly grow with spiritual growth, I, I start to understand the process of sanctification and that it's not dependent on me, that this is all Christ. Amen. Well, boy, I tell you, I, I'm, I'm very excited about the, uh, the next four weeks. The last four have been really encouraging to my heart to review the Lord's Prayer and to think through the implications of that for our lives. So today we're going to uh, move on, as I said before, to the topic of evangelism. So to begin with, find your way to Luke chapter 19 and grab your bulletin and fill out those notes there. I hope you're actively engaged in a small group. Uh, ours has been just a great source of blessing and encouragement as we have uh, studied the scriptures together and enjoyed learning and getting to know one another and socializing. And uh, it's been a really, really profitable time. So take notes on your bulletin that'll help you be prepared to have conversation in your small group because small groups right now are all based on the text that we're preaching on the Lord's Day. So uh, that's really important. And while you're finding your way there, let me give you a couple of quick things to remember here at our campus on the 22nd of October, two things are happening. One is at eight o'clock, that's our next men's breakfast. And then following that at nine o'clock until you have to go home, uh, we are going to be, we're having a work day here. We're going to do some trimming of things outside. We're going to hopefully get some painting done inside. We've got some deep cleaning that has to happen. We're doing our best to uh, get our campus ready and prettied up and ready to go for the uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas season. So come on, we'll start about nine o'clock uh, on the 22nd. And then on the 23rd, the following day on Sunday, we are going to participate this year with the trunk or treat that's going on at Yorktown, our Yorktown campus. 
So by all means, you can sign up on there, go to events, go coastal.org forward slash events. You'll find it there, get some information. I know some of our small groups are participating together as uh, part of their serve project and ministry for the fall. Okay, good stuff. Well, listen, I wonder if you find the concept of evangelism difficult or intimidating. I'd, I'd have a show of hands, but if, if this group is like most that I talk to, probably most everybody would say, to some degree, I find it a little bit intimidating or frustrating. I don't feel like I evangelize like I'd like to. I don't feel like I'm successful in reaching the people around me for Jesus. I would like to improve. I wonder if you've ever thought about some of the reasoning behind it. I, I mean, it is important that we evangelize simply because we're told to, right? We should be obedient. But I think we're going to find over the next few weeks that there are more reasons than just pure obedience to Jesus, as if that weren't enough, right? But, but I think there are some really good reasons why we should. And I want to tell you, the next four weeks are for you. Uh, we're going to spend some time, I hope very practically, in talking about evangelism, the what's and the why's and the how's and all of that of evangelism. And my, my goal in this time is to uh, kind of equip you uh, with some tools that will help you as you seek to reach the people around you. Uh, it's really, really significant, right, that God has decided to use you and me to reach the world for Jesus. Uh, I don't know about you, but as I think about that, uh, how impressive that is to me, it's, there surely are other more effective ways, right, than me, than maybe you, maybe you feel that way. Like, there's got to be a, a more effective way of reaching the world. But God has given to us not only the responsibility, but the privilege and opportunity to reach people around us with the message of the gospel. So that's what we're going to talk about for the next four Sundays. And uh, I want to get underway with a word of prayer, if I could. Lord, I thank you for this day, and I thank you for the opportunity to look at some familiar passages of Scripture over the next few weeks with a specific eye and attention given to the business of sharing our faith with other people. Lord, I acknowledge that evangelism is way broader than just specifically sharing the gospel with someone, though it, it must culminate in that. But Lord, I pray that our heart will be warmed as it relates to sharing Christ with our friends and our co-workers and our family members. And I pray that you would uh, just do a real work as we contemplate, even here, specifically at our campus, the community that's around us and the many needy people who are here. I pray that you would uh, strengthen our resolve and encourage our hearts as we think about what it means to you that we evangelize, and we'll be grateful for what you'll accomplish through it. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 19. I actually want to read this whole passage. This is a really uh, 
familiar passage to those of you who've been around the family of God for a long time. In fact, if, if you grew up in this, when I was a kid, there was a little song about it, right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he, right? I'm sure he would not have appreciated that uh, moniker at all. Uh, but it, it, I've known this story forever. And so I think it's really valuable when that happens that we just hear it all in one piece. So, so listen as I read. This is speaking about Jesus. And it says, he entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone into the house to, to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. What an, what an incredible story. There's a bunch of stuff in here. I've said the, this uh, sermon is the what and the why of evangelism, but I'm going to begin with the why. I'm going to begin with why should we seek others. What is our reasoning? I know none of us is quite so calloused as to say, well, I got my ticket, so I'm not worrying about anybody else. I get that none of us is that calloused, but why is it that we should seek actively to reach other people for Christ? First reason, I think, is they're lost in fact, back in chapter 15, I won't take time to go and look at these three parables, but Jesus told three parables, one about a lost sheep, one about a lost coin, and one about a lost son that we call the prodigal. And in each of those stories, it talks about a collection of things, and one was not there that should have been, and Somebody went to find them. So with the sheep, the shepherd had a hundred sheep. Ninety-nine of them were in the fold. One of them was lost. And the shepherd went and he found it and he searched for it until he got it. And he put it on his shoulders and he carried it back home rejoicing. And everybody was happy. He told everybody about it. Look what I found. I found that sheep that was gone. And it ends with, so there's great rejoicing in heaven over one soul that's lost and then found. And then Jesus tells a story about a lost coin. So this lady had her little collection of coins and she lost one of them. And she was searching the house for it. Now, we can all relate to searching for something, right? You're looking under the, the uh, couch, you're looking in the cushions, you're looking everywhere. So I'll tell a story on myself 
just as to how dumb I can be. So we, we all year long, there's an emergency phone. If you were to call Coastal with some kind of difficulty, not during business hours, you would immediately be given a phone number and it's an emergency phone and some staff member is carrying that with them for a week all year long. I had it a few weeks ago and I woke up on Monday morning, I think it was, of the week and I was about to be done having it. The next day I was to turn it over to the next person and I couldn't for the life of me remember where that thing was. And when I say I woke up one morning, by that I mean it was like 2.30. One of those days you wake up and now I've got something on my mind and I can't sleep. I got up and drove. I live in Newport News. I drove all the way here, looked through my office, could not find that phone. Went back home, finally got the brainy idea to call Coastal and get that number and call that number. Imagine that. I mean, it was 2.30 in the morning, so there's that. Called the number, sure enough, right down in between a couple of cushions on the couch. I could have saved all that travel. This lady lost the coin and searched the house, finally found the coin and was rejoicing. And Jesus said, it'll be like that in heaven because one lost soul is found. Angels rejoice. And then the prodigal son, we, we know that story. We've probably studied and talked about that one more over our years of, of uh, Christian life than any of them. But two times in that account, we call him the prodigal and we think of him as the rebel who ran off and wasted all the money and all of that stuff. But his father refers to him as lost. He was lost and now he's come home. He was lost and now he's found and he had a celebration. The why of seeking others is because they're lost. If you've ever had one of your children get away from you, you know many times they're not even aware that they're lost, right? They're just somewhere. And you're in a panic because you can't find your kid. And you find them like inside one of those round clothes things at the store, right? They've climbed in there because that's really cool. And you're having just a panic attack over it. They don't even realize they're lost. If they can't find you, they think you're the one that's lost. Lost people don't know they're lost, Right? The scriptures describe them that way, but they have lost their way. Secondly, like the story here, and perhaps more to the point of Zacchaeus, in many cases, they're lonely. Zacchaeus is described here as a tax collector, as specifically a chief tax collector. Now, tax collectors were bad enough. They were employees of the Roman government and for the most part were Jewish people. So they were working for the enemy. They were employed by the enemy to collect taxes from people to help fund the government of Rome. And unfortunately, they were, as a rule, known to be dishonest. So they would figure out how much you owed in the way of taxes, and then they would tack on top of it additional money. And it specifies he was rich. Most of them were. He was a chief tax collector, in fact. Nobody would have liked him. 
Nobody would have wanted to like hang out with Zacchaeus because he's the kind of person that if you hang out with him, you get a bad reputation because look who he's hanging out with. Tax collectors were people that nobody liked, and he got wealthy by defrauding other people. He acknowledges that in what he said to Jesus later in the story. So we should seek others because they're lost and because they're lonely. Jody and I one time went to visit a, uh, a lady who was really struggling. She was the mom of one of the couples in our church. Uh, we'd, we'd had a lot of ministry in the life of their children, but now it was her mom who was there and was living with them. And we went over, went over one evening and visited in their home, and she just started unloading her story. And after a little while, I looked at her and I said, you sound like you could use a friend. And she practically started crying. I said, you know, the Bible describes Jesus as a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And we had the joy of leading her to Christ that evening because she was lonely. But most importantly, it's valuable for us to seek others because it's the heart of Jesus. Verse 10 is the theme of the life of Christ. It's a summary statement of his ministry. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. If there is a key verse in the Gospel of Luke, that's it. If there were a key verse summarizing the life and ministry of Jesus, it would be that. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. He described his ministry as binding up the brokenhearted, as setting captives free. Matthew chapter 9 describes an interesting thing because Jesus, as we know, is God. He's holy. He's perfect. And sometimes it seems that people who, are, who seem to be extremely righteous, it's a little hard to be around them, but not so with Jesus. In fact, there's this occasion where we're told by Matthew that Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. It was important to Jesus to go and see the people, to be with the people. That's uh, verse 35. Go to 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep that did not have a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. It occurred to me this morning as I was just mulling this message over again, in that group of people to whom Jesus said that, sat a tax collector, Matthew by name, who became a disciple, who left everything to follow Jesus. And 
sought to reach other people. Jesus said, pray. He was not saying, I know that's a common verse we use when we want to convince people to become a missionary. That's a verse that Jesus gave to the disciples to say, pray that God will thrust out people because the harvest is ready to go. We are in that charge. We are in that command. It's the heart of Jesus that we be laborers in the harvest. Now, I understand some people just seem naturally gifted at this. They can, if it were possible, they could convince your pet to believe the gospel. Of course they can't, but they, they're just, they make natural conversation. There's something about them that they are uniquely gifted in this. For many of us, that's not necessarily true. I have often resonated as a pastor with Paul's words to Timothy when he said, do the work of an evangelist. For some of us, maybe for many of us, we have to be diligent and disciplined about this. We have to work at being evangelists. We have to be intentional about it. So what does it involve? What does seeking others involve? Well, there's a few things I think right in this passage that we can be reminded of. Verse 5 says, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. Now that's really interesting because verse 1 tells us he entered Jericho and was passing through. He wasn't going to Jericho to stay there. He was going to Jericho because it was the route that he wanted to take to pass through. And where was he headed? He was headed to Jerusalem, which means very shortly in the text of Scripture, in the record, is the triumphal entry. And about a week after that, Jesus is being tried and headed toward Calvary. That's where he's headed. This was not in the plan. This was an interruption. Just prior to this, just outside of Jericho, back in verse 35 of chapter, nine, of chapter 18, it says, as he, as Jesus drew near Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging and hearing the crowd go by, he inquired what it meant. And they said, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried all the more. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. We need to make it a priority is the first thing there on your list. We need to make this a priority. He was passing through Jerusalem on his way to something very important. But he had time to stop and heal the blind man just outside of Jericho, and he had time to stop and spend the day with Zacchaeus at his house because he came to seek and save lost people. Which suggests the next thing that I have listed there, and that is we have to spend time with unbelievers. We need to spend time around those who need Jesus. 
Now, listen, I know to some degree I'm, I'm preaching to myself and, and to our staff and to people who have a job with Christians that we have to prioritize being around unbelievers. I know some of you work around them. I know some of you have people around you who just don't know Jesus. They're wonderful people. They're delightful people. They're good friends of yours. It's a great thing. I'm very happy. But we have to pay attention to the reality that if we don't spend time with unbelieving people, we'll never be able to reach them for Jesus. We cannot treat coming to church like our chance to get away from the world and get cloistered in here so we can feel better together, right? This is prep time. We come in here to get charged and energized and prepared to go back to life and to reach people for Jesus. We need to spend time with them. Here's what's interesting. The religious leaders in the crowd fussed, right? Verse 7, when they saw it, they grumbled. Well, he's gone in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. The same thing had happened back in chapter 15. They, they complained. Verse, verse 1 of chapter 15, the tax collectors and sin, sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. I wonder how often we have perhaps inadvertently thought, well, I can't spend too much time with unbelieving people because if I do, they might influence me. And I wonder if we've ever really thought about it the other way around. Maybe if we spent time with them, we'd influence them. We have to spend time with unbelieving people. And I would suggest we have to do it in contexts outside of our our regular routine, right? I mean, if you work in a, a cubicle next to a person who's an unbeliever, I hope you're making it a point to reach them with the gospel if they don't know Jesus. But you're kind of forced there, right? I mean, you can't like say, I don't want to be there. But where are we looking for opportunities? That's my point. So I have to do that, right? I have to go do things with people who are not from church, because that's my only connection to people who don't know Jesus, to who, who are lost or maybe lonely. I have to be purposeful. I have to be intentional about it. What else did Jesus do? I think he created an opportunity for interest. <laughs> he walked by. He looked up and saw Zacchaeus, who was um, vertically challenged, so shall we say, and had to climb a tree so he could see over the crowd and as he walked by, Jesus just stopped and looked up in the tree, said, I'm coming to your house today. That must have been a really interesting spot in the crowd, right? I mean, they're thrilled. They want to hear Jesus. They're excited. They've heard about this miracle worker and everybody's traveling together and all this big crowd. And he just kind of stops and looks up in the tree. I wonder if anybody else noticed Zacchaeus up there. But there was Jesus. I wonder, because I have an imagination, I guess, if he just stopped and looked for a second and like people were in the back of the crowd thinking, what is he looking at up there? And then he starts talking up into this tree, Zacchaeus. 
And I wonder how many people in that crowd had been defrauded by Zacchaeus. And when Jesus said, I'm coming to your house today, I wonder if they were with the scribes and Pharisees. What? Are you kidding me? What is he going there for? But it created interest. You remember when Jesus talked to Nicodemus, he talked about childbirth. He talked about the wind blowing in the trees. And Nicodemus was, wait, wait, what? And Jesus turned the conversation to spiritual things. When he talked with the woman at the well, all he had to do with her was, what, ask her for a drink. Hey, could, could I have a drink? She knew that was really weird. Because number one, she was a Samaritan and he was a Jew and they didn't get along. Number two, she was a woman. And in that culture, that was you just didn't do that. And so it began a conversation. And so she went, jumped right to spiritual things. And he said, hey, do me a favor, go call your husband. Well, that created an opportunity for conversation. Because she had been with four or five, right? And the one that she was with now wasn't even a husband. But somehow or another, she wasn't offended that he pointed out her sinful past and behavior. She, in fact, ran back to town and said, I think I have found the Messiah. And that conversation that created some interest opened an opportunity for quite a few people to come to faith in Christ. Uh, I spend some time with a, a buddy who doesn't know the Lord, and uh, he every once in a while asks me, so what are we preaching about this Sunday? Or what did we preach about last Sunday? So uh, a week or two back, I preached on forgiveness. Was that last Sunday? And so I told him about it, and he said, yeah, no, that's not happening. And I said two things. I said, I understand. Sometimes that's really hard. And I said, but only those who have been forgiven really understand what it means to forgive. And we moved on with our day. I'm with him all the time, and I'm trying to sow seeds to get him to think, wait, what is he talking about? And sometimes we have very engaging conversations. Sometimes they're that short. Dear friend of mine, doesn't have any interest in spiritual things that I can discern, except that he's interested in what's going on with me, what's happening with me. We create opportunities for interest. Jesus told stories, parables, right, to engage people with spiritual truth. I think we need to create opportunities for interest. And then we need to be direct in our answers. I think we need to tell people the truth when they start asking the appropriate questions. It's interesting to me. In chapter 18 is the account of the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, well, what are the commandments? What, what have you done about those? He said, I've kept them all since I'm a kid. Jesus said, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have, and you'll have treasure in heaven. And he went away sad because he was very rich. Just a chapter before. Now here in chapter 19, Zacchaeus said, I will give away everything if I need to, just to demonstrate to you my heart of sacrifice. If I've defrauded people, I'll repay it. I'll give it back. 
Because the gospel transforms a person's life, and Jesus was honest with them and told them the truth about their situation. So when it comes time to be honest, because evangelism involves a lot more than just specifically sharing the gospel, as we've seen even with Jesus. We're going to talk next week about some of the how of evangelism. In fact, some of you maybe noticed these little pamphlets. You are welcome to take one with you today. Next week, I'm going to talk specifically about this, because in here we have four different uh, five different, well, four different kind of methods of evangelism that various of our pastors at Coastal use. And I'm going to share the one I use, and there may be another one in there that resonates with you, because we want to give you tools to say, how exactly do I do this? How do I get from point A to point B? But for today, I want to talk with you about the what of the gospel. What is the gospel? And I'm going to talk about something that I went through just last week. Because the gospel is the key to people coming to faith in Jesus. Paul said in Romans, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. It's the gospel that makes the difference. So we need to be clear on the gospel, right? So 1 Corinthians chapter 15 Paul summarizes the gospel. Here's how he says it. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. There is a lot in two sentences there that encapsulates the gospel. So this is, this is the minimum stuff you need to talk about, right? Jesus is God. Christ died for our sins. Christ was a term that the early members of the church, many of whom were Jewish, would have instantly recognized as the anointed one that was to come, prophesied from the Old Testament. He came not just as a person. He wasn't just a man. He was God in the flesh, God and man, not a hybrid. We, I, we just talked about this in some leadership training we did recently, and, and it's, it's really, it's a little hard to get our heads wrapped around, right? But the fact of the matter is, Jesus was God. He was God come in the flesh. It is clear that he's fully God, fully man. The gospel starts with understanding who he is. Only God is going to live in the flesh the perfect life that we can never live. He perfectly obeyed God's law in our place. Secondly, Jesus died for our sins. Paul said it in Romans 5 this way, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. We do nice things for people who do nice things for us, right? That's kind of Paul's argument there in Romans 5. Maybe for a good person, somebody might dare to die if there were a really good person. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died on the cross. He paid the penalty for our sin. He paid a price he didn't owe because we owed a price that we could never pay. 
So Jesus is God. Jesus died for our sins. Number three, Jesus rose from the dead. On the third day, coming back out of that tomb, Jesus literally rose from the dead. The rest of chapter 15 is all about the resurrection. Because if it's not for the resurrection, we're hopeless. So let me read for you, starting down in verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection from the dead? Then not even Christ has been raised. If, if there's no resurrection from the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain and your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Please don't share the gospel and tell people your life will just get better if you trust in Jesus. Because first of all, that's not always true, right? But secondly, if it's only for right now, what a limited viewpoint. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than anybody. Trust in money, trust in anything. If you want a good life, if that's all it is about. But it's not all it's about. The resurrection has implications for whether we come back to life again and spend eternity in heaven with God. So what has to happen? What's the gospel? Some of you know the words that are coming, right? We repent, we believe, we receive. We repent of our sins. We acknowledge that we're a sinner, that we're separated from God. Maybe our, maybe our debit column is kind of shorter than some other people's, and some people have a really long debit column, but the fact is that we have one is the problem. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we acknowledge that and we turn from our sin. We repent and we believe in the gospel. Jesus died. Jesus paid for our sins. He, he, he's God. He died and paid for our sins and he rose again. That's the gospel. So we repent of our sin. We believe the gospel and we receive Christ. John 1.12 says, As many as received him, he gave the authority, the power to become children of God. So... That's in here too. Page one, right at the top, sharing the gospel. So we're going to come back to this next week. So if you want to take one and kind of look ahead a little bit, there's stuff on the back, you can scan, you can get a little more information about these things. We're going to spend some time next week on how do we share the gospel. When you get to the point in your conversation where it's time to tell them how to come to Jesus, we're going to talk about that next week. We're going to be looking from the book of Acts where Paul was in Athens, a place where they had some 3,000 statues and images of gods, including one to what they called the unknown God. 
And Paul basically said to them, oh, I know him. And used it to share the gospel. How do we do that? That's what we tell them. So let me give you a couple thoughts to take with you today. One, are you a follower of Christ? You may be here this morning and have never come to the point where where you've been put into a right relationship to God through Jesus. It would be just a crying shame for me to talk about that and not give you a chance to respond, right? You've heard the gospel. You've heard the reality of it. All of us know we're not. We're not perfect, and that's the only option. Either you are perfectly holy and righteous, or you need Jesus, because he was perfect, perfectly holy and righteous. So if you are already absolutely perfectly holy and righteous, then you're good to go. I'll see you in heaven. But we all know that's not true, right? We've probably proved it already on the way to church this morning right? It's not about how bad I am. It's that I'm a sinner. That separates me from God. If that's true of you, please understand you are in a room full of people who know exactly what that's like. No judgment here. We're not the ones who judge. We're the ones to point you to the one who keeps you from having to be judged for your sins. We're the ones who know how to point you to where we came to. Everything's level at the cross. We're all sinners. We all come the same way. We all believe the gospel, repent of our sin, and trust in Jesus and receive him as our Savior. If that's never happened to you, man, I plead with you. Come talk to me. Come grab one of these folks from the from the worship team this morning after the service. Let us sit down. There are going to be people up here under the TVs from our prayer team during our last song. Come and just grab them and say, okay, I need to talk that out. That's, that's new to me. Or maybe it's not new to you, but finally today, the Spirit of God is just like, you cannot leave here till you fix this. Let us do that. And then... And this will become important because next week I have another exercise I want you to do. But I want to encourage you to ask this question. Who are you seeking? See, I don't want us to just go through this series and realize, yeah, I should be more evangelistic. Yes, I should talk to people about Jesus. I want you praying specifically. Who is there in your life that you are actively praying for and seeking to reach for Christ? Sometimes at Coastal, we we refer to it as our Reach 3 group. I have a list that has about six people on it. I don't have a list of 60. Sure, there are lots of people that I might have some connection with now and then that I'd love to see come to faith, but I have a list of about a half a dozen people that I actively pray for regularly and that I have interaction with often enough that it's my desire to see them come to faith in Jesus and to see God use me to make that happen. I want to challenge you to put together a Reach 3 group. So next week, so wherever Elise is, don't let me forget this. Oh, she's back there. I want to, I'm going to have post-it notes for you, and I want you to write down the first name of your three people on a post-it note, and we're going to stick it up where people can see it. And so as you see it, maybe on that back wall, as you're walking out on the Lord's day, we're going to pray for these people. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray for an opportunity over the course of the next month or two to, 
give them your testimony. Share with them about what Jesus has done in your life. And invite them to come with you when it comes to Christmas time. It is far and away uh, that and Easter, right, are the times that people will come to church if you ask them to. We're having a Christmas Eve service here this year. It's going to be great. It's going to include a clear connection to the gospel. Our whole month of December, in fact, the last Sunday of November and on through December, we're going to be going through the Advent. What does Advent mean? And every Sunday we're going to talk about a different piece of it. Peace, hope, love, joy, and Christ as the fulfillment of all of that. Start thinking about who you're going to invite. We're going to do another outreach here in November, just before Thanksgiving, where we're going to canvas our neighborhood and hand out 500 door hangers. We're just going to hang it on their door and ask God to bring people in here during Christmas and at our Christmas Eve service. Now, listen, it's going to be packed. I'm trusting God. I, I, I said uh, last year, just after we got into the first of the year, I was trusting God for 100 for Christmas Eve. I think I've underestimated, right? God is bringing people to us, and I want you to be working diligently, planning on who am I going to reach for Jesus. Now, listen, bring them here. You know that if you bring them with you to church, they're going to hear the gospel. I don't know if we get through a week without talking about it. I can't tell you, though, what a difference it'll make in your life personally if you're the one who says, let me tell you about what happened to me. Let me tell you about Jesus, who isn't going to make everything wonderful and lovely and perfect, but he's going to give you hope. So make a reach three list. Get people that you're specifically seeking to reach for the gospel. So those two things. Are you a follower of Christ? And if you are, that applies to the rest of us, okay? Man, I'm excited about this. I hope you're uh, looking forward to what God's going to do. Next week, we're going to do some how. How do we go about making this happen? So the team's going to come. I'm going to close in prayer and ask for God's grace as we uh, begin to employ what we're learning. Uh, as we close, man, if you have any need, it's not just about salvation. If you want somebody to just sit and pray with you a little bit because there's something going on and you'd like a little prayer support and encouragement, these folks will be up here. Uh, available to talk to you and pray with you. They won't keep you a long time, just give you a chance to care for it before the service ends, all right? So we're going to pray, and then we're going to go out of here singing. Father in heaven, I'm so grateful for the gospel. I'm so thankful that I have hope uh, because of the reality of faith in Christ. Not because I'm a good guy or because I work hard at trying to do good things. Not certainly because I'm, I have a job that makes me do that stuff too. But because Jesus died. He came here. Jesus, God the Son, came here, died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. And he was buried. And on the third day, he came back to life again. And Lord, I, I know the day that I repented of my sin and I believed in the gospel and I received Jesus. Lord, I pray that that's true for everybody here, for everybody that's listening to our live stream or to the recording a little later. Uh, Lord, if not, give them the courage to make that connection, to at least check something off on that connect card before they turn it in when they leave so we can, so we can get to them and follow up. And God, I pray that you would ignite a fire in our hearts 
for reaching our friends and our neighbors and our family members and this community with the gospel of Jesus because it is the power of God. It is your power for salvation to everyone who believes. And so we rejoice in your grace and your kindness to us in sending Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.